Okay, hello everybody. My name is Clara Pavesi Krieger. I am a fourth year medical student at Loyola Stritch School of Medicine. And I am Louisa Mott, also a fourth year medical student at Loyola. In this episode of the Loyola Street Medicine podcast, we are covering the topic of maternal and reproductive health. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Michelle Cavuras, who worked as a doula at PCC Community Wellness Center. PCC Community Wellness Center is a nonprofit organization that operates as a medical home, providing prenatal, labor and delivery, and postpartum care for underserved individuals. So Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about your work as a doula and why you were drawn into working for PCC? I'm a person in recovery myself. I just celebrated seven years and also had a baby while I was using substances. And the way that I was treated by our healthcare system was dehumanizing uh belittling. It was horrific. So I never really thought about being a doula until Dr. Ruchi Fitzgerald at PCC had invited me to be part of a stigma and language training to a bunch of future doctors. Uh, about 150 of them were on this website, our webcast. Um, and I I said some things that were controversial to some, and they filed a grievance against our our presentation based on some of the things I said about child protective services and mandated reporting. And from that, Dr. Fitzgerald had invited me to come work there because <laughs> because of what I said, actually changed some of the way that they were training their future doctors and staff. So I think it was so controversial and not something that everybody understands when it comes to substance use. And I eventually did some presentation at PCC to a bunch of already very aware of harm reduction and in meeting people exactly where they are, not leaving them there doctors that just welcomed me and was offered a job at that point and obviously eventually took it. Um, so it it was something I never really thought of doing, but the more I learned and more I got to do it, the more grateful I am that I made it out of that whole situation and able to now advocate for others that don't really have anybody to do that for them that understand it. That's really profound. Thank you for sharing, Michelle. My next question is, women experiencing homelessness often face very unique challenges. What unique challenges do homeless women face during pregnancy and childbirth? And how can a doula provide support in these circumstances? I think one of the biggest challenges is fear. Fear of coming forward to say that they need help because they may already have children because they're pregnant because they don't want their family to be separated and because they need help. Um, a lot of times if if somebody in our healthcare system or, or anybody really finds out that somebody is using substances and there's children involved, they automatically will call Child Protective Services. 
which can be devastating to families and doesn't always lead to getting the appropriate help and care that they deserve. So it's really hard to come out of out of the dark to come out and say, hey, I need help when you fear the worst thing happening. And a lot of times that's exactly what does happen. And we watch as some of our patients you know, get, get involved with the Child Protective Services and actually lose their children. And then we don't ever hear from them again. And it's devastating. It's needs to change. Um, we get to be part of that. And I think the, the support that I get to provide is to address the actual needs of that person holistically, not just the substance use disorder. As a peer, I get to connect with them on like situations that maybe I've experienced that are similar to something that they may have gone through and how I got through it. Um, I think providing options to them, appropriate options for what they need. Uh, a lot of parents are not able to get into treatment because they have children. <laughs> so now what? Do they have other options? Can they do an intense outpatient program? Okay, they're unhoused. How is that going to look? They can't charge their phone to get on a video meeting if that's what, what's available. So there's so many challenges when it comes to this. And I think the housing piece is super important. Although a lot of patients that I've worked with feel safer having their own autonomy to not be in a system that requires them to do certain things in order to get the housing that they need. <laughs> so um, I've actually worked with patients that preferred to stay out on a in a tent, uh, you know, unhoused, but just fine with that system because that's what they've worked with. That's how they've survived. And that's what they're comfortable with. They don't have to answer to anybody. They can do what they need to do to get it done. So I always have to be mindful of like where they're, what they want, not what I think they should want or what I think would be best for them. And when you do that with anybody, you're going to build that trust instead of trying to push our own agendas on them. Thank you for sharing that. I'll, I like what you mentioned about being mindful of what they want, because that's that's ultimately the goal. And I think, you know, it's a, a lot of medical providers tend to forget that at times. So that was very meaningful. In terms of maternal health outcomes and pregnancy journey that women uh, facing homeless or facing some, some, some substance use, um go through how how can the presence of doula um sort of improve maternal health outcomes for these women in so many ways we know what options are out there for people we listen to them in in all aspects culturally um what they've already been through uh, make sure that we understand that they usually are their best resource because like I said, they've already survived thus far without us. So how can we add value in our relationship with them and make sure that they're getting all of their needs met, basic needs usually, right? Um, but also 
other things that we don't really think about. A lot of our, a lot of our patients, male, female, doesn't matter, have engaged in sex work to survive. And are we mindful of that? Are we asking those questions? Are we making, are we linking them up with the resources in the community that provides harm reduction services for that, like the sex work outreach program or Chicago Recovery Alliance, things like that. Um, so like knowing the options and a lot of times also I hear when Child Protective Services does get involved, they require them to go into treatment. So if we have say a pregnant patient who's on Suboxone or Methadone or something for their opioid use disorder, and they're also on benzos for their anxiety, it gets really tricky because we can't place them in treatment. Nobody will work with people in those circumstances. So now we put another barrier in front of our patients to get the help that they deserve. Um, so I think there's so many ways to, we need to know our system in order to provide the path for that patient to uh, decide what they can choose what's best for them. But I also think uh, advocating for them when it comes to child protective services, making sure that they know what their rights are as a parent and that they can advocate for themselves because we're not with them 24 seven and child protective services doesn't usually say, hey, I'll be there at two and they're there at two. Like we don't ever really know when, when uh, an agent is available or coming. So making sure that they understand that they do have rights and that they need to know what those are, but also mindful that there's a way to say things when it comes to people who have so much power over whether or not you and your family stay together that, you know, just kind of coaching them through how to do that respectfully and also effectively. Thank you for that. That was really helpful. I think it's important what you mentioned also about not only having the resources as a provider, but being able to teach those resources and also being able to ask the right questions so that you know what resources you can even like, you know, offer or look into or doing your homework on that. And, if, you know, if we don't know, knowing who to call to find out and get that information, like we're not lawyers. So we need to know where we can refer somebody if they do have some legal case going on to get the services that they need to keep their families intact um, or have visitation or whatever it is that they're wanting for their family. That's really also a great point, knowing where your limits are in your own training and bandwidth and being able to work with that. And even our own, um, even our own capacity of how effective we are when it comes to culture and race. Um, I don't look like a lot of the patients that we serve, and I have to really understand that I don't know a lot, and and I have to check my own ideas of what I think to be true and ask ask the questions. And if I'm wrong, apologize and, and continue to learn from our patients. I've learned so much. Um, and I think I, I've done a pretty good job of 
finding that respect. And I know it's really hard when, when as a person who was using, I trusted no one. So to find somebody that I can connect with in the healthcare system, that's actually wants my best in best outcome available is in their heart is, is powerful in itself. It's very helpful to hear from your perspective. I'm sure you have a lot of really interesting anecdotes or stories. We'd love to hear about any story or experience where your support made a significant impact on a woman experiencing homelessness and her pregnancy or her postpartum experience. Sure. I do have to give a shout out to my fellow staff at PCC because without them, um, you know, it, it takes a, it takes villages to provide the care and, and needs for folks that we work with. So Eva and Sammy, Eva's or our, our nurse and Sammy is our social worker and she's just full of resources and, and has, she'll find whatever we're looking for for somebody. So I think that's super important too. Um, but recently we had a patient who was living out unhoused um, and like I said, pregnant and not interested in housing. And we're like, okay, you need to have a, a, a car seat. You need to have all these things, but where are you going to put your stuff, a bed, a crib? And, and just constantly not, not trying to force her to get into housing because we that's not our job. Our job is to assess what their needs are and try to help them achieve whatever goals they have. So I think it was just continuing to show up and, and be part of the healthcare system that you could trust and like try to help navigate through to get the best outcome and safest situation for her and her baby. Um, and she is housed now. She actually has two children and she's doing fairly well and still continues to reach out and connect. And I think to celebrate all every win, whether it may seem small to me, but it's really actually huge because just them calling in to check in and answer the phone when we call is a huge win for, for everyone because that means that they're staying connected to the care. Um, like I said, there's a lot of times where we lose touch with our patients because especially if their children are removed and their goal was to stay connected or intact and it just, uh, it's devastating. So actually any call, show up to an appointment, like we celebrate that with them and we, we tell them, like we know how hard it is to show up here. Um, I can't promise that every single person they come across in our setting is going to understand substance use disorder and how hard this person may be fighting to stay with their family. So I think it's very rewarding to see that. Um, and just another patient we just had, she had her baby a couple months ago and she even said if it wasn't for us guiding her and educating her on her rights and options and having her fill out we have them fill out a plan of safe care which talks about all their supports that they have so our nurse our social worker our doula our doctor um and 
their support, whether it's 12-step support or harm reduction support, whatever, anybody in their life that is a positive resource for them, they'll, they'll put this on their plan of safe care. And when they have their baby, they have that document with them. So when Child Protective Services does come, because most likely if, if they have censuses anywhere in their chart or history or current, there will be a call made. So it's like preparing them for that, even though it's like, I don't want to scare you. And I know you've been in recovery for so long, but you're on Suboxone or you're on methadone. And not everybody understands that, that what that really means. So there could be a call. So just without scaring them, <laughs> educating them on, on if this happens, here's one way to protect yourself and advocate for yourself when I'm not here or, you know, anytime. So they can have that conversation with whoever comes to talk about the next steps for them. So they, you know, and, and I think it's very helpful when they see, hey, this person has this whole team behind them that's, that shows something. And, and I think it might hold them a little more accountable too. And I'm not saying DCFS is bad I'm at all. I mean, I've definitely had some instances where they could have done a lot differently or more effectively work. And I know they're understaffed and it's spread really thin and, and I understand all that, but they're also not always so informed when it comes to trauma or substance use disorder or options for people. And like I said before, a lot of times they just want people to go into treatment and sometimes that's not an option for people. So there's other options, I think educating our child protective services system has been a passion of mine for a really long time, whatever that looks like for their sake too. Like they're not safe if they don't know what they're walking into. And if they just assume it's all bad, it could change the whole outcome of the situation. Great. Thank you for sharing um, this, the stories. I love, I loved hearing the stories you shared with us. Changing gears a little bit, I'm going to ask you some questions about domestic violence, which can be a significant issue affecting pregnant women, uh, including those experiencing homelessness. As a doula, what has been your experience in addressing this topic and providing support to these women? I think listening, listening to the patient's checking their body language. Um, if their partner is always there and never lets them be openly speaking, or, you know, you can kind of sense when something's just not right, um, but also not putting anybody in a position to where it would cause more harm for them. So being mindful of that. Um, I would never... If I had a suspicion that a partner might be mentally, physically abusive, whatever it might be, I I wouldn't ask them to leave the room necessarily because I don't want them to further take it out on their loved one or cause another rift. Um, I've been in domestic violence relationships and... And I know how on edge everybody is in that situation, including the partner. I will talk to the partner too, because again, a human <laughs> that deserves 
services help, whatever, if, if they're interested in it. And a lot of times the patients that we work with, um, their partners also use. So I always try to include them in their own healthcare conversation, whatever that might look like to offer that. And I think a lot of times subs are not substance use. Domestic violence comes from history in their own families. So they deserve support too. Uh, however, um, it gets tricky because some of the domestic violence patients that I've worked with have had a share phone. So I can't call them and just have a conversation with them because likely their partner is right there. So I just continue to do outreach with them. And, you know, when they come in, respect everybody in the room, <laughs> everybody, and just try to make it a safe space for them. So then if they ever do decide to get out of a situation, like they know one place at least that they can reach out and and when they're ready or if they ever are interested in that, that we have those resources available as well. I really like how you said that it's not always going to be something that you can control in that moment. So kind of appreciating the fact that you really don't have all the power in that situation and, and having the patience to kind of step back and be there if, if, and when they want to come to you on their own or, but understanding and, and being humble in that sense of um, not having all the power. Yeah, and I think, too, I've seen situations where we might suspect that's happening and the other providers might isolate that person, even though they're in the same room. And just, you know, you can tell body language tells a lot. So I don't want to disclude somebody from being... I mean, they're there, they, they're there. There's a, it's, it's the situation that we have. So I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause further harm for either and also offer resources to both people in the room. So. That's really helpful in the context of, you know, informing future providers of the ways in which to deal with those difficult encounters. One of the things that I think would be helpful for um, Loyola Street Medicine students to learn more about is how we can collaborate as street medicine volunteers with doulas. And so I was hoping you could share an example of a successful collaboration or ideas about a su successful collaboration between doulas and street medicine volunteers that have positively impacted maternal health outcomes for homeless women. Yeah, so just recently, PCC and Live for Lolly are collaborating. So Live for Lolly is actually going to be parked outside of West Suburban Hospital. I think it's Wednesdays from 10 to 2. Don't quote me on that time. They provide safer using supplies. They have Narcan, fentanyl test strips, xylazine test strips, and... Just having that relationship. And yes, I worked there for a long time and then came to PCC. So it, that was a year and a half ago and, and we just got them at our hospital. So it takes a long time to do anything in healthcare. But one of the great relationships that we have is with Night Ministry, who does a lot of outreach and a lot of things that they are seeing are the same patients that we're seeing. 
So we had a pregnant patient and we hadn't heard from her in a really long time and we were concerned and night ministry had asked us if we had heard from them. So now we know we're working together, but we also have to provide, you know, HIPAA. We, we have to apply that in all of our work and, and, you know, keep their, their information confidential. But if they're going to tell me that they saw our patient, then that's great. I'm just happy that they're alive. And, you know, sometimes they'll call us and be like, Hey, we've seen some people you might want to come see out here and we'll just go and connect with them out in that space because, you know, they can't get to the hospital. They aren't calling to check in. Um, so just knowing that somebody else is providing services with the xylazine out there, there's a lot of wound care that needs to be attended to. So knowing that they're attending to that for our patients is priceless because it's scary to come into a hospital. I totally get that. And then we also have done work with Chicago Recovery Alliance, who's been around forever and ever, harm reduction. And like I said, the sex work outreach program, I think a lot of people don't talk about sex work and I get to because it was also part of my history. So I can usually bring that up with a patient where they're not usually asked anything about that, but then to connect with them on that and be able to have a safe conversation um, to offer resources in that aspect. Like, do you have condoms? You know, do you have a whistle? Do you, do you have a partner out in the street that, you know, if you get in a car, somebody's got your back, something just because safety is really crucial when it comes to sex work and not also talked about and also illegal, right? So there's that, but it also puts people in a way more dangerous situation than if if people were able to even talk about it and, and get the health health care that they deserve on that and um getting pregnancy tests, getting STI testing, um, Pepsi, whatever, um just People need resources and they deserve all the same things that anybody else gets, whether they're using substances or not. Thank you for sharing that, Michelle. From your perspective, it's really great to hear how you've been able to impact so many lives. And it sounds like you have shared some of these experiences with them, which I think makes probably your work harder in a way, but also really rewarding because you're really able to connect with them on different levels. So I think that's very, um, very powerful. Well, thank um, you for saying that. You know, I, I that is a big part of it too. And as a peer and as an advocate, I'm finding that I have to advocate for my fellow peers a lot because we do experience secondary trauma or vicarious trauma and we are re-traumatized every time we hear somebody's story and it's like that that piece is never really talked about even though they're like everybody encourages self-care. I try to tell my fellow peers to educate themselves as much as they can, but also advocate for themselves in those spaces because we got to our role through some really hard stuff. And we have some internal, well, I have, I can only speak for me, but I have some internalized stigma stuff that I always feel like, do I even belong here? Look, I'm working with all these doctors and nurses and I don't belong here. This is not where I'm supposed to be. I used to be this person and now I'm here. This is just doesn't make sense. But 
that's just my internal lies that my brain tells itself. So I try to normalize that because that imposter syndrome is real and we do belong in these spaces and we do deserve to be valued in these spaces, which I find is not often the case. And we're asked to be in these spaces and share our stories and share share the experiences that we've seen and how important that is. And we're told that we're valued, but we're not necessarily always valued because values sometimes does come down to money and the pay for peers is just not there. Um, not that we get into this for, or I didn't get into this to make money. I got into it because it was my passion, but it is, it is valuable and it is important and it is helpful for our healthcare, for not just for the people that we serve, but for their families, for our communities, and ultimately the world, if we had more people that did it for the right reasons. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And again, I think mm -hmm. I can speak for both of us when I said I really, really applaud your work. I think it's, it's really incredible what you guys are doing. Thinking about the future, what are some steps in terms of broader healthcare community we can all take to better integrate doula services and street medicine in order to improve maternal health for homeless individuals? So I know there's so much funding coming through the pipeline right now for substance use disorder, opiate use. And I've been part of some of these committees that talk about where that money is going and or how they want to spend it. And I don't see enough of the people in my space at those meetings to discuss or represent the people that we serve. Um, I know it's it's really hard to get the actual people that we're serving in those spaces because a lot of them don't have phones or don't have access to a computer to get on and a lot of it's virtual. Um, so to show up and represent in those spaces, because I know housing is becoming or has always been a topic of need that is never really seems to be addressed, especially when it comes to pregnant and parenting people, because we have sober living and I even worked at a sober living for the past year and a half, also alongside of my peer tool work. And when it comes to working with women, there's different needs. There's, it seems to be harder for people who are starting these sober living houses or recovery homes to open it up to women as much as it needs to be and children or fathers with children, but mostly because of the needs that women have that aren't necessarily in line with what men need, I think it it becomes too much for people or they're not appropriately staffed to have clinical care in those settings. And it doesn't make it necessarily safe for the, the people that are coming into those homes. So I think we need to really look at that. And I think being present in, in the spaces where that money is being decided on how we're spending it is super important. Um, I would love to see more of my peers in those spaces and feel again, like, what do I belong here? Can I speak up? And it's really hard, but I have to, 
And that's why I enjoy doing this kind of stuff because I get to share some of that stuff that I don't necessarily get to say in some of the settings that I'm in because of my title. So I think respect the um, respect the people that work with the people and, and what we're hearing out there and the needs of the folks that we work with because they're the ones that truly can tell you the answer to all of that. That's super, super profound and amazing to hear. I just echo what you say. I think the biggest experts are the people that are living on the streets and experiencing trauma and going through these challenges. And so I think it's really helpful to understand kind of where our limits are and then also where we can intervene and where we can help. And I I totally agree that there is so much work to be done in and shelters in general, there's a greater barrier to care for women and children. Yeah. And when I was at Live for Lolly, I was doing outreach in McHenry County. And I would just ask every participant that approached our truck, we had a mobile outreach unit, what is it that you need that we don't have? I got hand warmers. I got boots. I got coats. I got safe supplies. I got Narcan. What, what, what don't I have? I got water. We got snacks. And the answer I kept getting was shower. I just want to take a shower. I want to feel like a normal human for even a day. And so what we did as a community was started this community resource days, which we've at first called the Empower Shower. So we got Showers of Love, who has a big truck with two showers on either end. They came out and, you know, we, they would pay for that. We, I think it was like $100 a guest. That was all we had to pay for. And they would come to this church and set up and people get to take showers, get haircuts, have a meal. And then we started bringing more community partners to this. So like Prairie State Legal was showing up and is still showing up. And now it's big. It's huge. We have um, New Direction Sober Living's there. We have Thresholds, um, NAMI, Compassion for Campers. They're, they're handing out tents and, and supplies for people to be out in the elements and trying to protect them as much as they can doctors, we had COVID vaccines, like all this great, amazing people coming together to provide wraparound services for folks. And it really has turned into something so powerful, just from people expressing that they wanted to shower. So like, it's up to us as community members, as people who work with the people too, to bring those decisions and, and ideas to people that can actually implement something. Cause I don't have a big old church where I could park a big truck, but like together we were able to do that. And, and it's still, it's every Friday now from 10 to two at Willow Creek church in Crystal Lake. And it's just powerful to be able to work with so many compassionate people that all have the same goals. So it's pretty powerful to see how just, you know, asking people what they need and then start providing it. And then the magic that happens after that, it's just amazing to be part of. It's so inspiring for us to hear that. Um, I think I speak for both of us when I say that we need more more people like you, um, mm -hmm. more advocates and more passionate people out there um, because really passion is what will drive change. Thank you so much, Michelle. We I feel like have barely scratched the surface, but it is so important what, what we talked about today and maternal health is something that is so underrepresented in these 
discussions and conversations. And we're so lucky to have had you and, and to bring more light to this so important topic. Thank you so much for having me.